Hi everyone, we're back. Hi. <laughs> it's uh, Megan and this is Natalie. And we're the Feminist Fiction Podcast. Um, we're two girls who live in Manchester and we started a book club um, about a year back, um, which has become quite big now. And we've got different book clubs in different cities. Um, and because our audience is a bit bigger, we decided to make this podcast and we're on about episode seven, I think. Is that right, yeah, Natalie? I actually can't remember now. That's, that's quite good going. We've done a few. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what's interesting as well? I feel like we've still got so many ideas, which is great. Yeah. I was actually worried that we were going to... Like, I keep thinking, oh, maybe we shouldn't talk about, like, all the books we love in case we run out of books. But the great thing is we both read so voraciously. That's a bit ridiculous and yeah. probably not going to. <laughs> I think that we can always, like, come back to topics as well. You know, there are so many things that we've talked about where we're like, oh, there's so many other examples. So we can always do, like, a round two or a round three, I think. Yeah, <laughs> you know? absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so we're going to talk today about work. That's our main theme for today because it's September. It's September the 3rd um, and everybody... I Well, I guess, like, most people just carrying on their normal life, but especially mm. for me as a teacher, I very much have that September thing of mm. it's a new year, even though it's September, and, like, I better get my pencil case together and whatever. <laughs> you know? I actually love it. Like, I love this time of year. This is my favourite time of year. Awesome. I think I was quite, like, nerdy at school. (laughs) So I actually was, like, excited to go back to school. Really? This is my least favourite time of year. It's my most anxious time of year, I think. But do you think that's partly to do with your job? I guess it's different, isn't it? Like, going back in. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. But even, even during school, I think it's just I don't like fear of the unknown. Like, I quite like being settled somewhere. Like, I think when I am anxious it's about things like this like I don't get like social anxiety at all or anything like that but I definitely Mm. get anxiety about change and anxiety about like the unknown I guess yeah I actually think that's like the reason I like it I like that there's like a new thing happening you know Mm, like it always yeah for me like autumn always feels like something new is happening and weirdly like all lots of like good things always seem to happen at this time of year like every Mm. single like romantic relationship that's been like significant always starts this time of year oh that's so so nice for you I think that's probably another thing for me because I feel like the nights are drawing in and I'm still alone like it's really you know (laughs) like I was saying to Natalie before we got on the call well Natalie knows all about my last 48 hours and I have been very unwell uh, I had mm. a severe allergic reaction and I think when I am unwell then I do feel my most like lonely and like I just want yeah. to cuddle and yeah I definitely think autumn I, I can feel like the seasonal what is it sad you know yeah seasonal <laughs> affective disorder yeah I can just yeah. feel it creeping in like I love summer but I think bookstagram really agrees with you I think they just mm. love like I'm just hot I'm too warm in summer <laughs> I feel like the clothes are better in autumn like I cannot I just feel like I get sick of just having to wear like nothing all the time I'm much more really? comfortable wearing like a coat and like I see yeah I just I hate that I hate having to think vibe. about like I just hate thinking about like 10,000 layers. I like to just put a dress on, love it. run out of the house. <laughs> so cozy. I think it may be because I'm like, maybe it's like a Taurus thing. Because we, yeah, we love comfort and like coziness. Basically, mm. I think as well, like this time of year, and I think because I like Christmas, like you've got that run up to Christmas. After Christmas, I think it's yeah. shit. Then winter becomes shit. Like January and February is just like rubbish, bleak. Yeah, it is. It's a rubbish time of year, you know. At least but we can agree on that. <laughs> autumn is good. I like autumn. I like the star sign idea. Like maybe because I'm like a crab, like crabs like to be at the beach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, moving, moving swiftly yeah. on. Um, so yeah, we're going to talk about work. And first we're going to answer some quick questions from mm. the club. Um, so the first one, do you have any recommendations for feminist books? Do you want to go first on this one? Yeah, so my recommendation is a book called Testosterone Rex um, by Cordelia Fine, which is like a non-fiction book. I actually read it a while ago, but it basically kind of looks at why, as a society, we're so 
obsessed with the idea of testosterone and like the the effect of testosterone and like how men kind of this idea that men inherently behave a certain way and women inherently behave a different way because of testosterone levels she kind of debunks the myth and it's quite refreshing I think if you're interested in this idea that there's not like one gendered way of being mm. um I I mean the only thing I would say with non-fiction books is that I read stuff like this and then I can't remember any <laughs> statistics from it <laughs> I'm like I need to go back and like actually remember some that I can bring up in conversations you know or arguments that I have with men <laughs> yeah for sure like I, I don't know why but facts and numbers like that just do not stick in my head at all I wish like, what's the point in me reading it <laughs> I know <laughs> just in one ear and out the other I mean I, I can know. basically I can tell you what the book was basically about but I, it's like I could have read mm-hmm. the blurb probably <laughs> just don't do that yeah <laughs> well it anyway, sounds really good, good. I definitely would really want to good. read that um similarly well mine that I want to recommend is called Women Talking it's actually like a drama it's kind of written like a script which mm. I think you would love that uh, oh. by someone called Miriam Taze, but it's spelled T-O-E-W-S and it's like based on true um events but it's it's fictional and mm-hmm. it's like within a community um the men are like assaulting the women And the women only find out that this is happening through talking to each other. And the whole thing happens, like, in a room. Like, they keep going to the barn to discuss things. And it's, Mm. like, gradually comes out. And I just absolutely love that book because it really, for me, that's... The whole point of feminism is, like, for me, personally, is that the more we keep talking, um, the more kind of collective consciousness grows to the point where we won't you know eventually hopefully we won't need it anymore because everybody has spoken up so much that Mm. sexual uh, uh, perpetrators and things wouldn't do what they're doing you know I guess um that's how a lot of cases come out I suppose really isn't it yeah like thinking about like me too and Harvey Mm -hmm. Weinstein and it's kind of once you know a few people come out then many more will you know right exactly yeah so it's it's heavy going but actually I've read a lot around that particular topic of assault Mm. and this one doesn't feel as heavy going like and you can read it in one sitting it's a really short book and it's really powerful I actually would really love to see it on stage like Mm. the way it's written it'd be so cool um so yeah there we go what about Netflix recommendations that was another question from the audience yeah, I was saying I feel like Netflix has been a bit rubbish recently, but um, <laughs> in terms of older recommendations, because I think, you know, like historically they've done loads of good stuff. There's a show that I, I've watched it twice. I, I really loved it called She's Gotta Have It, which is mm. by Spike Lee, directed by him and is like so a good. remake of his film. I heard that he remade it as a TV show because he felt like he got some things wrong, like especially from like it's obviously a very basically the show follows a like young black female artist living Mm -hmm. in New York who has three boyfriends basically yeah I love that about it it's so cool (laughs) um and like they they all know but it's kind of and a girlfriend actually isn't she Mm -hmm. she also Mm -hmm. has um and it kind of explores like her trying to manage that I suppose and the and the difficulties as well as like her artistic life and trying to make a living and um yeah it's I think he I haven't actually seen the film but he felt like he got some things wrong in terms of the kind of feminist perspective and he wanted to make it again which I mm. respect I think is quite a cool thing to do um definitely but yeah it's really like really fun you know it's like this incredibly like beautiful liberated woman is very inspiring and fun to watch so that would be my recommendation yeah it is actually really really cool isn't it to see like a bisexual black woman like front and center polyamorous as well like um and she's the main character in the whole thing it's brilliant yeah I love that um I'm gonna say mine but I feel like it's Maybe I'm not going to say much about it because I feel like we could talk about it at length later. Mm. Um, but yeah, my favourite ever Netflix show is Feel Good, um, which has got Mae Martin, um, who's an amazing comedian. And it's you this... know I should say it's actually a Channel Four show originally, just to <gasps> oh, give no. them credit. <laughs> but it is on <laughs> should Netflix. I, should so I try again? no, no, no. I think I think it's a good one. 
<laughs> is that because you don't have Channel 4 now? <laughs> I've got to defend Channel 4. <laughs> love it. Um, so, yeah, that's, like, uh, a lesbian love story. And actually, my favourite, like, romantic on-screen drama that I've ever seen, really. Mm. Uh, but I won't... I reckon, hopefully, if people hear me recommend that, they'll go and watch it, and then we can talk about that maybe when it comes yeah. to February and we do, like, Valentine's kind of episode. Because yeah. people have requested, like, a romance episode from us, so I reckon we should do yeah. it for sure. <laughs> We're both um, like, oh, romance. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to get into it. We'll have to get yeah. into gear. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, let's let's make a start with work back to to life back to reality (laughs) yeah I guess it is quite a good one for this time of year because people are coming back from holiday and going back into work I mean yeah we were saying like we're just we just wanted to talk about our own experiences of work kind of at the top Mm. of this because I think it's probably worth noting like where we're coming from in our backgrounds yeah true like I'm freelance so I've been freelance like, I was freelance for maybe, like, three or four years. And then last year, I went back into a full-time office job for about nine months. And then I quit, and I've now been freelancing again for, like, almost a year, coming up to that. And, I in yeah, throughout my working life, I've, I mean, I started when I was a teenager. as I think I was 14 when I, or 15 when I had my first job, like a Saturday job Me at too. this restaurant. Um Oh, and I had, like, the most creepy, sexist manager ever in that job. It was, like, unreal, the stuff that he used to say to us when I look back at it. Like, so gross. Yeah, like, he... Like, I'm not joking, went... I'm pretty sure went to prison or has faced some (gasps) kind of charge for, like, sexual harassment since then. Oh, makes me, like, shudder to think of it. Yeah, Yeah. and it was... um, it was weird when I think when I look back and it was like cash in hand it was just all a bit dodgy to be honest yeah. I, I did quit in the end because he was creeping me out so much and when I told my parents they were obviously like you're not gonna work there anymore yeah um but I have done a lot of those types of jobs and I actually have had times where I've like been in an office job and then I've gone back to that type of job like working mm-hmm. in a cafe or a restaurant so it's been quite mixed, but I would say that personally I hate office jobs. Like, <laughs> and I feel like some shame around saying that because I know that's probably what like most of the population do, right? That type of mm-hmm. office job. I just find it like I would rather work in a bar or a cafe, if I'm being totally honest, than go into an office every day. Mm. I think in that. I just find it like it feels like prison to me <laughs> like that you have to <laughs> that you have to go in at the same time at, every day at the same like yeah. there is something about it that's like which is why I love freelancing even though there's like basically no security like I don't really know what my income is going to look like in the next few months like for me that's the trade-off yeah I would rather have the insecurity and have the freedom I think with freelancing which is definitely a privilege like to be able to do it at all but um, yeah, I, I don't love office jobs, and I don't love like just being around people all the time. <laughs> I think I'm quite introverted, yeah. so freelancing does allow me to be alone a lot. You know, <laughs> how about you? What are your feelings on work? I, I guess, like from what you've just been saying, I would argue that like it's not the majority of the population doing office jobs. But I don't know. I'm coming from a different angle where I've never had one, um, mm. and for me it would be, I would feel so privileged to be able to sit down all day. Like, I've never had a job where I get to sit down at all. However, I do completely agree that I would find that to be a prison type of situation. I completely Mm. agree with you. But, like, my whole working life, I've been on my feet. And I'm sure there's a lot of people listening who who have the same experience where, like, work Mm. is moving around, lifting Mm. things, like, Mm. constantly moving, moving, moving. And it's a different kind of stress, really, and a different kind Mm. of boredom. Um, or maybe not, yeah, it's maybe not boring. My work life sounds different to yours. You know, I spent, similarly to you, I just spent many, many years in the restaurant industry from when I was 15 Mm. till, I guess, 25. (laughs) That was a long time. Um, And I kind of worked my way up a bit within that where I was a supervisor for a restaurant for a long time. But even with that, you know, I, I never got to a stage where I was sitting down at all apart from at the end of the night when I was counting the money. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and then I went straight from that into uh, teaching assistant work and then teaching work and the way that teaching is these days it's really really not encouraged to sit down in a way Mm -hmm. that um I mean I know I'm fixating on this obviously there's so much more I can probably say about my working life um throughout the episode but my main issue with the jobs that I've had has been this kind of surveillance culture of don't Mm -hmm. you dare sit down if you sit down it's lazy and more and more I kind of feel that really heavily like in my bones (laughs) like I just want to sit down (laughs) god I feel like well it's quite cathartic to say it out loud (laughs) right we should probably get going on these books and films and things yeah yeah, yeah. a while Uh, what do you want to start with I think we we wanted to talk about um, the bold type, which is I think again. Okay, let's do it. I'm not sure where it was ori- which, when it was originally on. I think maybe it was on Prime first, but it's oh, really? like yeah. Okay, yeah. And I watched it on, it's on Netflix. Netflix now. Yeah, but it's I guess like um, it's kind of got like a modern day Sex in the City vibe a bit. It's like but it's like yeah. three girls. They all work at a fashion magazine, and they're like best friends. Um, uh, and yeah they live in New York so uh, instantly it's just like crack for me and Megan <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I feel like it's one of the first things we ever bonded about was our love of that show yeah it yeah. is exactly like that it's like a drug like when you tune into that show you're instantly like a successful young woman with an amazing wardrobe and like yeah. nothing holding you back and you live <laughs> in New York like what what's not to love <laughs> yeah I would say like um obviously they because they're working at a fashion magazine there's a bit of an emphasis on fashion but like the clothes are so bad in the bold type true like, true it's so bizarre to me that outfits are like crazy and like not in a good way okay, <laughs> some of the stuff I, that I is worn like, is just like Aisha D's wardrobe bizarre. is good though I don't feel like her wardrobe is problematic I think she always looks good I think hers is the best of the three of them but there's some stuff that even she wears that's just like this is objectively horrible <laughs> like, like yeah. I don't get it but, I guess in that way it yeah. does definitely follow the mold of the Sex and the City show because they wear yeah. some bonkers things as well don't they yeah and I would say compared to Sex and the City it is slight. I mean it's not that realistic but it's slightly more realistic when it comes to like what these women would be able to afford in terms of what they're wearing True. Because Sex and the City yeah. is crazy, and it's like the idea that she writes Carrie, the main character, writes one column a week for a tablet. Yeah. It's like tiny, and is somehow able to buy like Jimmy Choo <laughs> stilettos. Yeah. All and she has the like time. a rent-controlled apartment that like yeah. <laughs> she never loses. <laughs> it's just like what that would would not happen. Whereas True. the bold type is like they have yeah they actually do tackle their finances much more. I would say. Yeah, they do, because two of the main characters, uh, Jane and Sutton, they live together and their apartment is so small that one of them has to, like, literally live in the lounge so they don't yeah. have, like, a shared community. And I think that's way more realistic about what it would be like, um, yeah. what you could afford in the city if you were on a pretty good pretty good uh, salary doing a pretty good job, but that's yeah. what they could afford. And then yeah. they even tackle, like, when Sutton moves out, they then Jane has to get a roommate. Like, she's not suddenly able to live on her own. So, yeah, I think they're a bit more realistic about that, aren't they? Yeah, and I guess, like, for anyone that hasn't seen, maybe it's just worth giving a quick sort of overview of the characters. In that, like, I guess there's three of them. Jane is maybe, like, marginally more the central character. Natalie hates Jane (laughs) so much. (laughs) Yeah, and we did one of those online quizzes where it was like, which one are you? And I was Jane. And I'm like, I'm still upset about it. I'm like, so, so happy with my result, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, you got Kat, which is obviously the one that we all want to get. I would have, you don't like Sutton, <laughs> but I would have been fine. I like Sutton, I would have been fine with her. I, I hate Jane. Just, I dislike Sutton more than Jane. Jane doesn't bother me that much. Like, I, I get that she's really cringy. Sutton, I feel, I find it difficult to, like, get. Like, she has that whole plot line where she loves her gun and like yeah, takes Jane to the gun range and it's like okay <laughs> I don't know. yeah but I guess other things like Jane is like a writer and that's her thing she wants to like become a kind of like that she her goal I guess is becoming like the editor of this magazine right yeah which that's is why run she's by central. yeah Jacqueline who's like a very mm-hmm. very cool older yeah. woman who's been doing it for a long time and Jane sort of hero worships her 
And then there's Kat, who is like their like social media manager. She's doing pretty well. And she's black and she's like bisexual. All that kind of comes out as the series goes on, doesn't it? And I think that that yeah, is a really quick. interesting part of it. Um, but she's quite, she's at her family actually quite wealthy and they've like bought her a flat. So I guess financially there's that difference. And then there's Sutton who's like working in the kind of business side of it or something at the beginning. She's just like a receptionist, isn't she? Yeah, she's a receptionist, but then she realizes she wants to get into fashion. So she kind of becomes the fashion intern for a bit, um, and, and works her way up within that department which yeah. is all, it's all very aspirational. It's like they get their foot in the door, they work their way up. It's very mm. like the American dream and, and meritocracy. It can all work for you. Just pay your dues and, yeah, and one yeah. day you'll be at the top of the company, you know, like. And so, I mean, Saturn is like from a working class background and is the one that has the most financial troubles. They're almost like a, like right. a sliding scale, aren't they? Where it's like yeah, Saturn, yeah. Jane and then Kat in terms of finances. Yeah. Um, so yeah and then you're kind of following their like careers and their love lives and and stuff and I guess the other they have like male characters or like love interests one mm. Sutton is dating a guy called Richard who's like a board member at the magazine and it's like yeah that's like thing. the other reason that I dislike Sutton to be honest because I just think Richard Hunter is the most boring <laughs> male protagonist I've ever seen like I'm sorry but every time he's on screen it's like watching paint dry he there's nothing to recommend him to me at all he's just quite boring yeah like even like the fact that he's rich and powerful should be kind of hot but it's like not hot they never go into like power dynamics or anything he's always like you're Mm. my equal (laughs) which is actually like very good and very feminist but (laughs) yeah he's like I don't know he's he looks like a Ken doll like he's very yeah. sort of like handsome but in like a plain way but mm-hmm. I I have this I had the theory about Richard right we talked about it where I was yeah. like she's like actually like really difficult to date Saturn she's like really unreasonable in lots of ways towards him yeah. and he's like so reasonable all the time and I think that's why mm-hmm. she likes him is that he just is like fine always about everything but it yeah. is like sort of not believable that he would be yeah like he just that. doesn't seem like a real person to me yeah. doesn't seem very well written like who is reasonable all the time who is peaceful yeah. and like that kind and not messy I just don't relate to non-messy people I think yeah he is also pretty boring like he never I don't think he says anything that's like weird or funny at any point right. whereas the whole like season. Jane's love interest what's he called I can't remember Pinstripe yeah because that's what the men's magazine that he works at is called right? yeah and I which just, is so funny to me <laughs> such a funny name like it is I feel like that's more a plot line that I got into because it's very much like um the hate to love kind of yeah. pipeline that we're used to reading in uh, romantic yeah. books and they really really hate each other and they're sniping at each other and then they fall in love which is cute yeah Equally, though, he has such horrible... I know I'm just banging on about this, but his clothes are so bad. (laughs) (laughs) He wears, like, these leather jackets that have, like, no collar and, like, little poppers on them. (laughs) And they're, like, brown. That's just horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he's... Yeah, he's not... None of them are really hot, the the men. Um, Mm. Anyway, Alex is quite hot. He's... Uh, yeah, that's yeah. I was gonna say, wasn't I? My main issue with the show is that Alex, who's in the office with them the whole way through all of the seasons, is this super hot black writer who is really passionate, really funny. Like he makes them all laugh. He mm. is super intelligent, and none of them like get seriously romantically involved with him ever, mm. which I just find. A bit of a problem. Waste, a wasted opportunity. A waste, definitely. yeah. And then, I mean, it's worth saying that Kat, her main sort of love interest is this female photographer called Adina, who's mm-hmm. like a Muslim woman. And I think like their whole storyline is super interesting. You know, yeah. I think you kind of follow Kat as she has her first relationship with a woman. Um, and you like... That I hadn't really seen that on screen before, and I mean it's not so much workplace related, but 
I think that's a really good part of the show. It's like watching someone discover their sexuality mm. and all of the like difficult things that come up for her along the way. Yeah, yeah I enjoyed watching that. Definitely. Yeah, I feel like that's what makes her the most interesting character for me. But also the fact that she eventually kind of start, starts to be more like politically engaged and runs for mayor, I think. Um, yeah. And it's like sort of because of all of the things that Adina, her girlfriend, has like brought up for her. So it's like not only is she being like going through this kind of sexual awakening she's also going through this like political awakening and you're just really on the journey with her and in a way that I I do it's like even though she's not the main character I think she's definitely becomes the one that I'm interested in watching the most definitely yeah I think like we I mean we really enjoyed this show but it is like uh I read something about it that was talking about how like it makes uh, these environments of like fashion magazines look much better than they actually are like their boss Jacqueline is like almost this kind of like mothering figure right where she's like really reasonable and like kind and like cares about their personal lives and like you know she's like a really really good boss and the reality I think is pretty far from that at most of these types of magazines that like incredibly competitive places to work right you know like I have I know people who've interned at those places and it does seem like basically you're just expected to work for free as well um which is not really covered in this um you know I think there's a thing where Sutton is expected to work for like a very low wage but it's like she mm. is not free and in reality like most of the people that work at these magazines are then just like rich kids because they're the only people that can afford to do that yeah absolutely you know. and um this is going to lead us on to our next thing actually I- i've recently read careering by daisy buchanan uh, natalie hasn't read it but um it links into this because it's a similar kind of workplace um where she's working at a magazine she's writing the main character is called Imogen and we get the viewpoints of Imogen and of her boss who's called Harry like short for Harriet and it doesn't shy away from the fact that um these are very privileged people like you mm. just said it actually probably explores that a lot I mean it, in a way it's problematic because the whole book the main characters are all white rich kids but it, it definitely does explore that openly in a way that the bold type doesn't really um yeah. and I think what it does that's really interesting in that book is that it's all the problem side the real life problems of working in a magazine so for example um Imogen she is sort of uh put into a corner really of only writing sex-based articles and um, because she's written one good article about a threesome that she had a long time ago Mm. Um, then she keeps getting those kinds of articles and the boss Harry keeps giving her assignments and keeps trying to make her make them sexier and more aspirational so Mm. she's sending her on these assignments for example to go to a sex club and um, what's really happening is that Imogen is having quite like negative experiences um, when she's doing these assignments Um, Or even when they're not negative, it's just sometimes a bit blurry and she wants to write about um, the messiness of it, the fact that she does desire some of these things, but also that um, they can be quite problematic and consent isn't always discussed. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. she wants to talk about all those kinds of things that we, we love talking about ourselves. But her boss is pressuring her to make it... She's talking about um, this idea of the girl that they are writing for. Mm. And, and how this girl is supposed to be really sexy, really carefree, kind of like, um, I guess, somebody who's on Sex in the City and sleeps yeah. around all the time and never has any issues with that. Um, and Imogen keeps thinking, who is this girl? I've never met a girl like this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think when you compare that to the bold type, you know, Jane is kind of a sex writer in a lot of senses and so is pinstripe and actually they never really get into the problematic side of that as much as they did in this book so i would recommend that 
Yeah, I think in the bold type, it's like she. I guess maybe the difference is that she is allowed to write about the her the messiness of her feelings around right, those true. things. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Like that, but like you say, I don't think that that is realistic. You know, like yeah, there are so many things. Like I think watching it, where I was like, I was almost like, if only it was like this in like yeah. journalism and magazines, because she's like given like a vertical where she just like writes her opinion. <laughs> like I'm yeah. just like. I don't the articles that she writes I don't think that people that magazines would put that much time and money behind that type of journalism because it's not the kind of thing that's going to get them loads of clicks basically and yeah yeah it was like I mean at the same time it's like it's nice to watch because like I would like it to be like that I would like people to be Mm. interested in long reads you know (laughs) or whatever But I feel like the way that journalism has gone, they're not really. So it is, it is very aspirational, but I guess it's enjoyable for that reason as well, you know. Definitely. So next we wanted to talk a bit about The Office. Um, Megan is going to talk a bit about the US one, which I've only seen bits of. I've seen the UK one, though, which I guess is sort of the same premise. I think actually even has the same story for the first few seasons. Yeah. Uh, but it's obviously... Uh, like huge cultural phenomenon and quite a good exploration of office life and culture yeah the office is probably hands down my favorite all-time show um i've watched it end to end more times than i can count like if i it's one of those things where i know exactly what's going to happen in it it's so predictable and that's why i'm watching it like for comfort (laughs) viewing but i think there's a lot to explore within it and i think the thing with the offices, um, especially the US office, I think the, the US office is a bit more diverse and that's why I like it. Mm. Like really within that one office room, you've got quite a lot of different kinds of people represented. Um, like I was trying to think about how we're going to talk about it within this context. You know, are there any issues in a feminist context? And they do explore feminist issues, but really when I got down to it and watched a few episodes again I was thinking they do have a lot of different women in this show which is is fantastic you know you've got um Mindy Kaling who um that like was one of the first things she brought out and she's involved in making the show but also as a main character in the show and well she becomes a larger part of the show um and the fact that she's an Indian woman and really Mm. like doesn't know much about her culture and that's a funny part of it um mm. that the boss is all the boss michael um he's so socially awkward and he makes so many fumbles mm. um and really some of the things that he does are so unacceptable um but the fact that the office is full of these different kinds of people and that they're constantly at the centre of it and they're pulling him up on all of his fumbles kind of Mm. makes it, um, yeah, it makes his behaviour, it makes him the butt of the joke is what I'm trying to say, which is great. And so, yeah, you've got Mindy Kaling, you've got uh, Pam, who is sweet and adorable. And I was thinking, oh, well, I guess you could maybe say Pam is quite a submissive woman. You know, the whole, her whole story arc is that she never really tries to get anywhere for herself, but she's really realistic. You know, you can imagine a lot of women and men in mm. jobs, which they're not really keen on doing, um, like myself, and um, struggling to find a way out of that. And then mm. there's um, Angela, who's like, like they call it like a tight ass. Um, she hates everyone and everything. And Phyllis, who is really warm and really bubbly and funny and like a very large woman. Um, and it's similar with the, the men in the show. There's just, you know, there's black characters, um, there's a Mexican character. I think the fact that they're all in this melting pot together is what makes the show for me so special. And it's the fact that they really... Um, it's the sort of thing that we're not really getting much of now in life. Mm. You know, we've all been sectioned off really because we're all sitting on our phones in these echo chambers it's so rare that there's an opportunity for us to come together and maybe we all believe different things but those people in that office are so different to each other but they Mm. come together every day for work and like they have a laugh and they yeah that's why I love it I think (laughs) yeah and I do think that's probably something that is beneficial about offices in general Mm. like 
you're talking to people that maybe you wouldn't spend time with normally and that is quite good for us I think you know like I think it's so hard with work in general though there's like and like the expectations that we have of what work should be like with workplaces like I would I wish that we could that employers would have um less of a like one size fits all approach to their employees because like for some people going into the office every day is like really what they want to do they like really benefit from that you know they like Mm. going into the workplace they like having that separation whereas for someone else it's like Mm. not gonna work and it's I wish it's like we had more of a feeling of like okay well this type of work working would be better for Mm. this person and this type of working would be better but there's always in my experience especially with offices an idea that everyone should behave in the same way even though everyone's lives are so different you know it's like it's a shame yeah that's so so cheap it's interesting like in my last job I did some um we did like a day of training which was around around disability and we had Mm. a disabled woman come in and talk about it and it was it was good because she was her attitude was that everyone should be able to have an access rider she called it so Mm. every single person like you know like including able-bodied people should be able to say this is what would make my Mm. working life easier for me yeah and express their needs whether that's about working from home or like even things like whether you that'd be amazing wouldn't it yeah like whether you benefit from like meet having more meetings or having less meetings or like Mm -hmm. what you personally feel you know you thrive at and that kind of thing I just think so many workplaces like it annoys me because they really like what everyone's like waxing lyrical about accessibility now because they want to look good you know and they want to be on the Mm. right side of it without actually taking measures (laughs) that makes work more accessible and it's like you have to make it accessible for everyone as well it's like if you're just Mm. if you're just expecting disabled people to be like really forthcoming about their you know their disability it's like that's so much um pressure to put on them when they're already dealing with like being disadvantaged it's just oh my god yeah this has gone really deep (laughs) yeah sorry you're so right you're so right yeah and I mean I've just been working with um a woman for the last term who was going through the menopause and I'm not joking she had to have like the fan right next to her face Mm. um all, all the time which is difficult because you know we do have to move around a lot um but she, bless her it was awful like she had to open all the windows and she was still having to work at that like full capacity and move around and manage behavior and where's the allowance for that you know but luckily yeah. I guess the kids really got it you know they did kind of know what was going on probably yeah. more so than the than the boss and were more understanding you know they they kept turning on the fan for her when, when oh, they saw her sweating that's so and stuff. Nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah I remember like there's a really good book called period power which is all about like, I love that book um, yeah yeah you know I mean like about periods in general but I heard an interview with her Maisie Hill and she was saying this thing about how she thought that if workplaces could be more upfront about periods um mm. they could actually get more out of their employees so like mm. if women for example were able like you know if you're in a workplace and you again this is like office culture you had to do some big presentation to be scheduling yeah. that in like when they were ovulating because they'd be much yeah. more like outgoing and like you know energetic mm. and all of those things and then if there was work that they had to do that was like filing a report and it was just sitting down, that would be yeah. better to be done through your period or like premenstrual time when God, you're more that would be insular. so amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so it's good. like, and she was like, it would work to their advantage, but like, you know, she was like, I think we're unfortunately very far off <laughs> that happening, yeah. you know. I guess just to move on to like another Yeah, we should example. move on. We've talked about this for ages. <laughs> um, well, how about convenience store woman being another one we could discuss like I know you haven't read that one but we read it as a book club pick and the way it works in the book club is that I'll read one and Natalie will read another one in one month so we often don't end up having read the same things which isn't very helpful for the podcast but anyway (laughs) here we go (laughs) um so convenience store woman is a short book um by Sayaka Murata who's a real bookstagram favorite so I feel like a lot of people listening will love her Um, because she's a really quirky writer and this is a story about um, a woman who 
we felt when we discussed it in the book club was autistic, but it isn't explicitly uh, said that she's autistic. But I love that about it, that whether she's autistic or not, she's a really quirky individual who Mm. um, absolutely loves her day job in the corner shop. And she's really, really dedicated to it um, to the point where towards the end, she says she's becoming the convenience store. And Mm. she really doesn't understand um, other people and their reluctance to conform and to do their job. And it was just such an interesting sort of opposite perspective from what we're talking about, where we're coming at this whole discussion as quite creative people who like understandably quite creative people and also quite privileged people who feel quite sort of um, unfulfilled in an in a ordinary bog standard, perhaps boring yeah. workplace. Whereas for her, the workplace provided like stability, consistency and like the rest of the world was so confusing. And I thought that was a really, really interesting take that, yeah, I guess there are parts of me that love when I'm getting up knowing what's coming you know, mm. going home at a certain hour, you know, like the bricks yeah. and mortar of like what a day should look like. And sometimes I do feel a bit adrift when like at the moment, you know, I'm kind of sort of floating through my year going from one job to the next and it does feel chaotic and it does feel like some orderliness would be nice. And there's a reason why jobs came into being that isn't just to do with capitalism and money. It's it's also because human beings do need some kind of structure to mm. like to function and i well really and also this. like they're in some ways like more important those jobs like in many ways more important yeah you know yeah. like people need to eat like people you know it's like mm. people who work as like bin men like we need <laughs> that really Absolutely. needs to happen in a way that like like i w- was going to mention that article by this writer called david graber called bullshit jobs which is basically just about how so many jobs are just sort of like made up like and yeah, like capitalist yeah. things that like don't really need to exist mm. but you know or or happen compared to service jobs that really do mm. need to happen do you know what I mean yeah, like they yeah. actually are important and in a and this and um, for some reason we don't pay as well for them even though they're actually way more important than some like insurance sales job or something (laughs) do you know what I mean that doesn't really need to be there and even like there's parts in the book where she discusses how because it's all kind of from her perspective and she says that you know so and so comes into the shop and she knows exactly what that person will want and what they will order and how they're feeling and she's predicting it and So not only is it like an essential job, but also there's so many skills involved in that that we don't value. Like we're praising certain kinds of jobs over others for no apparent reason. Like that person that works in the shop, I know when I go to my corner store, like that person is well aware that sometimes I'm lonely because they see me on my own all the time. And they always, without fail, make me smile and like, They know what I'm going to buy and sometimes they get it out before Mm. I even think to. And those like people skills are very much the same people skills that I'm using in teaching. But for some reason, like the teaching profession is um, like praised above a corner shop worker and paid a bit more than that. And why? You know, (laughs) it's like they're both important. It's a a really good point as well, because like on actually on this topic, as a nonfiction book I've been reading called fully automated luxury communism Ooh, that sounds good it's about like the future of work in terms of things becoming increasingly automated in like a world of technology mm, and mm. he's talking about you know a lot of these jobs that we're talking about look like they're going to become automated or already are to some degree yeah. so like now for example you go into most supermarkets probably most of us use a self-service checkout rather than True. interacting with a person and increasingly it looks like there'll be shops where you can just walk in and there won't be anyone working there like you just have a thing that you scan and you leave and you know I mean he's coming from the perspective of of looking at like well then what are we going to do with our time (laughs) like and what's the future going to look like but what you're talking about is I feel like overlooked in the sense of like whilst 
he's probably right that it, things are going to be increasingly automated. I also think there is a pushback against that that we see with lots people actually want to interact with a human, you know, yeah. or like I guess you see it maybe with like fancy like bakeries or something now right like you want to go in and like you want to you you want to know that someone's like lovingly made it like personalized it and all of this stuff (laughs) compared to just like fast food or getting something quickly so I think whilst I reckon that we I think we will I hope in a way that we will see a pushback because I think it is valuable like you say to go into a coffee shop and like know the person or in the shop and know the person honestly For me, it's like transformational. Like the people that I interact with on a day where I'm just on my own for most of the day, that they'll never know the impact that they've had on my life. But like, there's a little cake shop by me and the two ladies that work there, honestly, are the nicest ladies I've ever met. And they make this concerted effort every time I go in there to have a little chat. And they never really ask me anything, which I find really nice as well. They just kind of talk about stuff like they'll talk about the wedding that's going to happen in one of their lives and oh they're sewing this thing for the wedding and they just make me feel like I'm not alone in the world and how awful would it be if people like me who are living alone and more importantly like elderly people who Mm. are really really alone like at least I'm seeing um, my friends all the time and I'm going to work see people all the time but there's people who don't see anyone all the time and if their Mm. only journey out is to a little corner shop and they don't even get to talk to someone at the corner shop I mean I just don't think that humans can survive this way it's so lonely yeah exactly it is really important like I haven't finished this book but I suppose the positive thing that he is trying to say about it is like it feels very much like negative when we think oh like Mm. we're gonna lose all these jobs like what's going to happen but his argument is that we can create a world in which there's enough wealth basically Mm -hmm, to support mm -hmm. people sort of just doing whatever they want like and Mm. yeah I mean that would be great I guess but it's like a move into the future then of like post work almost like beyond if we didn't have to work and the machines do everything (laughs) for us what do we do like and and also like yeah I, I don't know if we'll be like how we're going to manage it as I think we kind of need something to do and a purpose this is interesting you're bringing this up because I haven't read that book but there was once a time when I was out with a few friends and I met this guy that I hadn't met before who was a friend of a friend anyway he was talking about that concept at length and I was Mm. a bit younger and I didn't really get it and I was kind of arguing against it but he was saying the leisure society is the way forward. And it was basically what you've just described. He kept banging on and on about the leisure society. And I kept saying, well, no, we need to make money. We need to earn, we need to work. Mm. And this is such a privileged idea. And really though, I think you're right. I think that is coming. And oh God, I would love that. I would love to just be at leisure all day, every day, like, and do what I'm passionate about. But that's not my experience. And a kind of um, a non-fiction book that I've read around work is called Work Won't Love You Back. And mm. as much as, yes, you know, I, I do love being served, isn't it exhausting to serve? Do you know what I mean? And I feel like the more that I work, especially in these public-facing roles and put a smile on my face, um, the more exhausted I become. And it's very draining. And this book was really good at exploring the ways in which lots of different kinds of jobs, not just service industry, are really draining and they don't love you back and you should never really invest too much in them, even if they are your passion jobs. Because it's, yeah, I don't know. I feel like the harder I work, the less mentally well I feel as a general rule. Like when I give myself that leisure time, I always feel way better. Mm. It's so difficult though, because I think like when you're, you know for you you're so busy with work and like it's so stressful really your job and I've been in that situation before that then I think being at leisure is like you're like oh I need I need that and you're really Mm. craving it and then when you do get it it's good yeah but I think having too much of it is really difficult for some people and I think it would be such a massive like cultural shift for us as like humankind Mm. to not work and I think purpose is quite important so Mm -hmm. it's like we'd have to find a way I think of 
we like we would probably work but of our own free will right that's the change like we decide what that was and we'd have to make purpose for ourselves because yeah you know it wouldn't be needed anymore like well this is like a bit of a tenuous link but I'm gonna go for it maybe we do one last show because we were gonna talk about Parks and Rec and when you kept saying purpose I was thinking like Leslie Nope who's like the main character of that show she's somebody who really feels that her whole life's purpose is her job and that is interesting in in itself I suppose if you haven't seen that show um it's based in like a government parks department so all of the people who are on the show their job is to organize parks and community events within parks Mm. so it's quite like a niche subcategory of government work really um and leslie is the most bubbly and passionate incredibly smiley person ever Mm she absolutely loves like she loves parks so much and Mm. it's it's hilarious really watching the rest of them kind of be a lot less bothered about their jobs being more realistic but she has this drive she's and I do when I watch it I do feel like because the writers are poking fun at her Mm. it's it feels realistic you know you do get people in life who just absolutely love their jobs don't you and I I actually do really struggle with that like I was thinking while re-watching The Office like who do I come across as like who am I most like in that show and I think I'm most like Oscar Martinez who's the gay guy that I've explored earlier because um obviously we don't have much in common in terms of like he's Mexican he's a gay man um (laughs) but like he he is always so kind of snippy about um things that he sees as like unacceptable and he really kind of rolls his eyes a lot at a lot of things and I guess Mm. that's what I'm like at work like I do really (laughs) I just really struggle to like be enthusiastic to have the enthusiasm that I know I'm supposed to need and Leslie Nope I think is a really good caricature of what we're all supposed to be like at work but it's like so hard to attain like how does someone wake up on the right side of bed every morning I'd love to know yeah I think it's is such I mean it's such a funny show like she is so again I suppose that type of work is something that would be very hard to be replaced I think it's very like inherently Mm. kind of human like dealing with people very you know people facing and she is someone (laughs) that loves like her what's it called where they where they live the town where they live I can't remember but like isn't it Pawnee Pawnee Pawnee, yeah (laughs) and like she she like knows everything about it she knows all the history she really wants to like serve the community Mm -hmm. I think some of the funniest things in it are like those like public meetings that they hold where like people are so horrible to her (laughs) and like (laughs) she just somehow still wants to do that job and you know is like enthusiastic about politics and uh council work I suppose Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. you have like she's very much like liberal like I guess on the political spectrum isn't she and I think it's funny that they have Ron Swanson who's like her kind of polar opposite (laughs) he's like (laughs) libertarian and he hates government like he's like anti-government yeah. thinks that like in, you know individuals should be able to do whatever they want and yeah holds this <laughs> position within the government um and sort of does everything in his power to like make things go wrong I guess doesn't he like he yeah, actually actively yeah. wants government to fail so um yeah but <laughs> I think so it's interesting because like it's like he in a way can exist or his type of personality can exist because people like Leslie exist like because she's there making it all happen and work you know that it's he doesn't really have to do anything because she's sort of propping it up um but I think they explore it kind of interestingly with like different characters and what they each individually care about I suppose and like how that works in their job I think like one thing I wanted to mention in this episode is I don't know if you've heard this thing at the moment everyone's talking about quiet quitting this like like, on the internet it's this idea that like 
you kind of do less at work in order to like make your life okay but it's Mm. kind of bizarre that it's become this like phrase on the internet and this thing that people are talking about and writing about because like there's been pushback and people saying like quiet quitting is actually just doing your job it's just that we all have this idea that like you should be like overachieving in your job like yeah, you say yeah. like Leslie Nope all the time mm. when actually doing just meeting your job requirements is what mm-hmm. this quiet quitting thing is talking about like sort of like doing the bare mm. minimum I guess but it's like yeah. if doing if that is just meeting your job requirements then that should be fine like why do we have this idea that you should mm. like these things we we're talking about earlier be like super passionate and excited and go above and beyond all of the time like yeah what, yeah, like completely. Should, I, I love know. that, and I I wish that I could do that. I think the the thing on the other side of that is though that, um, what if the requirements are like the basic requirements are so enormous? You know, yeah. Yeah. for me, like that has never really been an option because if I don't get, um, you know, like English and additional language forms, special needs forms all these kind of really important documents done, um, someone's, like, life could be impacted. So, yeah, but I think, really, employers need to think about, like, reducing that expectation and sharing the workload. You know, really, those kinds of forms could be filled out between not just myself, but other adults who are in the room who perhaps are not leading the show, but really thinking about the well-being of the staff is is just not a feature is it in the modern workplace um yeah not under under capitalism (laughs) unfortunately I don't think which is all about like progress and production I think it's very hard for employees to even with these things we're talking about like flexible working and stuff for Mm. them to be like you know in some ways though I think like what they're not seeing is that if you if you like trust your employee employees and you treat them well and you give them reasonable mm. working expectations mm. they're not going to leave the job yeah and like i yeah. read this thing that apparently it takes like a year to fully replace someone in a job in terms of like mm. all of the knowledge that that person has accumulated yeah. and so it that is quite a big cost for em- employees have to like yeah. train someone new if people keep leaving mm. it just seems so obvious to like you know, ma- making somewhere a nice place to work is what keeps people there mm. <laughs> and also makes people work harder, I think. You know, if they think, like, I'm being respected and yeah. my boss, like, values my time and my well-being, I think they're more likely to want to do a good job for you than if yeah. you feel like you're being... You're, like, completely burnt out and you have unreasonable expectations. Mm. And then on top of that, I know this is the case for you as a teacher, like you're being criticised quite a lot often and evaluated. It's like, it just seems like a recipe for people to quit (laughs) or want to quit. Yeah, I think this topic in general, as you probably realised, listeners, (laughs) is quite triggering for me because Mm. I am pretty burnt out and work, in my experience, has not really been a pleasurable uh, experience. But I, I definitely agree with you. I think that is the way out of the cycle. You know really we don't all have the option to reduce our workload but what we can do is just do what we can do physically and mentally and like you say just reduce that stress level for ourselves and if that results in not all of the work being done so Mm. be it you know what's the worst that can happen you know you just go elsewhere and it's not the end of the world is it (laughs) yeah quit your jobs (laughs) it's another whole thing with like that Beyonce song yeah Um, maybe we should discuss that break break my soul where she's like telling people to quit their jobs I mean it's just obviously it's difficult because like I think in a lot of the things that we're talking about like privilege is the the idea that you could even make that decision Mm. do you know what I mean it's just like not an option for so many people like you, you know to change jobs or to leave jobs which is why I think it Beyonce's song Break My Soul which encourages people to quit their jobs is a little bit uh like whilst I'm kind of here for it I'm here for the sentiment I will say like <laughs> it's not it's not realistic for a lot of people Beyonce <laughs> you know yeah I mean I think all we've got really is at least we can listen to the song and kind of get it yeah. to pump us up while we go to our jobs <laughs> we <Yes>. can imagine <laughs> quitting yeah 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Right, well, I don't know how to end this in a positive way. I'm sorry it's been a bit bleak, guys. We've tried our best. Can we just do the recommendations? And sure, yeah. Unless you want to say anything that's going to be a bit more uplifting about work. <laughs> I can't think of anything. Um, I mean, you I have think a like... job that's like, that you wanted. Maybe just yeah. talk about that for a minute before we go on to our recommendations. Yeah, I suppose like if anyone is listening that feels like they're doing a job that they hate. I mean, I have been in, I'm not going to say which ones, but I've been in many jobs that I really (laughs) have hated and have made me like truly miserable. Um, And I have managed to leave them. And I do think that I would encourage people to see that as a possibility. Sometimes I think that there's an attitude that it's like not possible, you know? And Mm. I think that that's, you know, I... Like, I feel like we're encouraged to think that way because it benefits, like, a capitalist system to think that you can't do it or you can't have a different way of working. I think it's just, like, for me, being freelance kind of suits me because it gives me independence. It doesn't give me that much security. Like, I often don't know what I'm going to be doing in the, in the next couple of months. But I would say if that's something that you're, you think you can handle as a kind of, I think it's like managing what stress you're okay with. Like for me, there's an element where that can be a bit stressful, but actually doesn't really worry me that much. Most of the time work just comes along and it's all fine. And I'm sort of able to shut down that anxious part of my brain in a way that I think I'm not able to do about going into an office every day, for example, even though that would... Mm actually offer me a lot more security and probably money as well Mm. so but I think it's yeah I would encourage people to think about how they could change their situation you Mm -hmm. know if there's something you really want to do then you should definitely do it like I just I do think that it's possible um yeah you don't you don't have to do something you hate forever you know that's good that's better I like it (laughs) it's my (laughs) Good job. Right, so um, just we like to end the episode with some general recommendations. I want to recommend A League of Their Own, um, which is what I've been watching on Amazon. Have you seen it yet? I have actually started watching it, yeah. I've watched the first couple of episodes and I really liked it, yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's like a whole women's uh, baseball team. Uh, During the war, the men were off at war, so it's a real story, um, you know, fictionalised about how they still wanted to keep baseball on as a form of entertainment. So they got this league of baseball players who were all female. And it's really interesting about how the people who lead the teams and organise it all are trying to get these women to be really, like, quote-unquote, feminine. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of them are not. And I love that most of them are lesbians and that's really like front and center and um it's also quite diverse and as it's going along I feel like I'm really getting to know the characters and because it's a baseball team there's quite a lot of characters but I feel like every character is explored in a lot of detail it's kind of a slow burner at first I wasn't that into it but it's Mm -hmm. really getting good now and Mm -hmm. um the central love story I'm like really on board with and I love that it is too really feminine women which Mm. I don't remember seeing that often um on screen you know um and they even look quite alike so it's really going against that stereotype of like you get a butch lesbian and a feminine Mm. lesbian um and also it's really exploring how difficult it would have been to be a lesbian at at that time um so yeah 10 out of 10 would recommend (laughs) So my recommendation is a TV show called The Baby, um, which is on, I think you can watch it on Now TV. It's a Sky show. It's it's a really, really interesting idea. It's quite dark and a bit surreal, but it's basically the premise is there's this woman who, I guess she's in her 30s, and it kind of starts with her having... Uh, drinks with a couple of her friends and one of them mm-hmm. has a baby and the other one announces that she's pregnant and you see the central character like really doesn't want children and kind of resents mm-hmm. that her friends are all having kids now mm-hmm. um and she has a bit of an argument with them and she decides to like go away for a couple of days to like clear her head 
and she goes to this beach and when she's at the beach this baby falls off a cliff and she catches the baby oh right like basically the baby's mother is like has like committed suicide she jumps off this cliff and then mm. the ba- her baby crawls off the cliff afterwards and this woman catches it and it's really um it's a bit like rosemary's baby it's like this baby is like evil you start to find out like oh, i'm not okay. it's not a spoiler and that i'm you get this quite quickly and that like basically people keep like dying around the baby like mm. she kind of goes to give this baby to these police officers and then they try to leave and their car crashes and it's like mm-hmm. really bad things just keep happening and yeah as the series goes on it's like this kind this baby it's funny because it like looks really cute <laughs> like it's a super <laughs> cute baby but it's like an evil baby and yeah I mean I won't tell you any more than that because it gets really really crazy like the storyline mm-hmm. um but I think it's a really good exploration of like the pressure on women to have children even yeah. you know like in light of like Roe versus Wade in America like this thing of like what happens if a woman is forced to have a child you know when they Mm. she doesn't want to have a child um Mm. but it's quite yeah it's like really surreal and a bit like horror-esque at times you know uh and but very funny as well um it took again it took me a little while to get into it but i think it's a really interesting show um cool <laughs> and yeah that would be my recommendation so yeah sounds good <laughs> right we did it we've done it again yeah. <laughs> it's a long one <laughs> yeah um so i guess just as usual please uh if you like the podcast tell people that you know encourage them to listen rate and review and if you would like to join the book club, you can go to at feminist.fiction. If you want to join, it is £5 a month um, in the Manchester one, just because we're mm-hmm. a lot bigger than some of the other societies uh, in the different cities at this stage. Um, and for that £5 a month on the Patreon, you're going to get two book clubs per month. Um, one of them is led by me, one of them is led by Natalie. And you can go to either one of them or you can go to both. Um, and then we do tend to do like one social a month ish. Um, for example, last month we went to the theatre to see Prima Facci, and we've had nights out. And we once we went painting together and stuff like that. So mm. it's basically access to a social life straight away in Manchester. So it kind of tends to appeal to people who are new to the city. Um, mm. But I'd been here for a long time, and I just wanted to make new friends, and um, mm. it's definitely definitely done that for me. Um, so yeah, we hope that you consider joining, but also if you're not in one of our cities that already has the group, um, get in touch with me via our Instagram and, um, I can talk to you about setting up one of your own in your own city. We'd love to have more going on. Yeah, definitely. I think also like from what we've seen of people setting up new clubs in cities, like there's always people wanting to make friends, wanting to meet like-minded people. So I think you know if you're if you're like oh will anyone come like they definitely will do you know what I mean and it's a yeah, good thing to do for sure absolutely because there's always lots of book clubs around um but this is quite a specific kind where the people who come tend to be quite like politically motivated and um driven to read the same kind of books as each other so that's really nice sort of niche community that we've formed and I always have such interesting discussions with people. So, yeah, I love you guys. (laughs) Join us. (laughs) Join our coven. It's a cult. (laughs) It's a coven, yeah. Originally, actually, a bit of feminist fiction trivia. I wanted to call it the coven in the beginning. Really? I I talked out of it. It's too late. (laughs) I know. (laughs) can do a rebrand in like a year or something. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, well, thanks for listening, everybody. We love you. (laughs) Thanks for listening. See you next time.